Welcome to the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. Today's guest is Anne McKinnon from The Boolean. Anne is a VR and AR consultant and writer. She is an editor and contributor to Charlie Fink's book, Convergence. Charlie, as you may remember, was one of the very first episodes we had. Her consulting bridges the gap between entertainment and technology. As an advisor, Anne grows and curates a community of digital artists to leverage new and emerging technologies. Anne is actively engaged in the entertainment industry at the intersection of music, arts, gaming, and tech. You can learn more about the great work that Anne and her team are doing at theboolean.io. Anne, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Alan. I'm really excited to speak with you today and also cannot wait to speak with a lot of the listeners. Yes, it's been it's been a while. We've known each other quite some time, and you uh, you do some work with VR Days, and they've been on the show as well. And it feels like a family, like a network of people uh, that are all just kind of coming together. So, how did you get into this crazy world of technology? Well, actually, VR Days was one of the major events I went to when I started working in tech, and it was as a blogger and just kind of looking at how can we solve problems in VR, what can we use it for, and how can we make improvements into every aspect of our lives. And VR Days was one of the best conferences that bridged the gap between technology and the arts and also brought together everyone from military to education to healthcare and also the creatives who drive that innovation. Uh, so that way, I guess I met some of the teams that I work with now and we're looking at how to solve all these problems and to bring it to audiences around the world. Let's unpack that. What are some of the problems that you're working on solving? Well, I want to talk a lot today about one of the projects we've been working on for almost two years, and that's with Mirrorshot. So Mirrorshot is a band, and we're touring a virtual reality live concert around the world. So I'll give a bit of detail about what that looks like, is that the audience is physically present, and the band is also physically present. And when the audience enters, they have VR headsets on, and they are immersed in dreamscape visuals. And the passive camera is a big part of what we do to connect the realities and to experience music in a new way. And one of the problems that a lot of VR experiences have is how do you reach audiences around the world with live performance? And also how do you reach a large scale audience? So a lot of we're focusing in business is how do you grow experiences from live to at home? And this is something we're doing with the band with up to 30 people at a time for a live concert. People uh, simultaneously in VR? Simultaneously in VR. So a lot of it is based around the concepts of gaming. So we're really looking at VR as something that's not contained, taking from classical genres from theater and cinema and gaming. Uh, so everyone is in a gaming lobby and they start the experience together. And depending on where they look, they're able to experience different parts of the world of the music. And they're also, because it's a live performance, they're really tied to the real world, but experiencing it in a new way. Are they at home when they're there or this is at a physical location? Completely live. One of the, the recent ones we did uh, was we were at a Ram Festival in Germany. So we did 18 live immersive concerts over four days. And what it looks like is we have up to 30 people every time we do six to eight shows per day. And they last about 30 minutes from start to finish. So the audience is uh, coming into, we were at a warehouse on the outskirts of Hamburg. And what's so amazing is that like this experience we can take to, we've performed at churches, Institute of Contemporary Art in Amsterdam, uh, BAFTA Cinema. Uh, we did a underground like music venue in London, uh, Louis Blanche in Paris. Gaeta Lyrique. And yeah, the audience is there. They put the headsets on, the band comes in and plays a couple sets, and they see these amazing visuals, uh, and they feel haptics and temperature and scent of a new way to explore music. So they're live, they got a headset on, so when they walk in, there's a bunch of chairs, or is it it's standing? 
uh, seated. So because, again, a lot of people are experiencing VR for the first time, it can be a lot to take in, especially uh, when you have the powerful like music of a band and you have all these different scents and feelings and also voiceover that's talking about world building. Because a lot of this, in the way, is building the future of how we're going to experience our world. It's incredible. So I was at the Five Hours Festival, which is the Festival of International Virtual and Augmented Reality Storytelling. Mm -hmm. And they had a band there and the band was playing in a, in a small room and everybody kind of came in to watch. But the band was playing to 3D mapped visuals. So somebody had projected on a wall and had a couple of pieces and one guy had a drum and the 3D projection was on the drum. So this is like that only times 11. Mm -hmm. One of the things we learned like very early on is that if we want to make it the best we possibly can, we have to collaborate with people who are from different backgrounds. So we have a collective of about 700 people from all over the world who contribute to the visuals of the band, like the one you saw at Fiverr's Festival. But also to we have two master's students who are working with us in the band, and they create a lot of these virtual scenes and virtual worlds. And we use everything from haptics. So it's not just VR. Again, we can't. I don't think that to look at immersion, uh, we have to look at something beyond VR and how can we create an atmosphere and how can we create an experience. And one of the posts I, I wrote recently on my blog at theboolean.io was about Sleep No More and how it's everything that VR should be. And it created a lot of good debate on Twitter. So I'd love for people to join that conversation. An amazing article. So explain how the haptics are working. Are you using something like a subpack or? Yeah, subpack has partnered with us for a lot of events. And we use their, their one that's like a backpack, but we put them on the chairs. Uh, we also use uh, wind so people can feel. It's funny because a lot of the times we do a bit of an intro into the experience. And sometimes I'll forget to say, oh, you'll we use tents or we use wind. And then afterwards, when we're talking to our audience, they'll say, did I, did I smell the desert or did I smell the ocean? Because uh, we have um, Timothy Han who does sense for us. And he's at Somerset House in London. Uh, so we do have a custom sense for our shows. Oh my God, I got to come and try this. This sounds amazing. First of all, what kind of VR headsets are they? Again, this is a great question for artists because I think a lot of the, the struggle is how do you find the right hardware and how do you talk with the right teams? Because uh, we're super, super low budget. Like the label has been incredibly supportive, but a lot of it is independent. So we HTC has given us uh, some Vive Focus and we love them because being uh, untethered is a huge important part of having audience come in and not feeling like it's a hassle, but really having this like ritualistic atmospheric experience without breaking that sense of immersion. But we don't have funds to port. So that's something that we're, we're looking for. But otherwise, we're using the Samsung Gear VR. And those have been absolutely amazing. Again, they're tetherless. They're easy to put on and off. Uh, we can pack them up and take them in like boxes around the world. They're super easy for production. The passive cameras are great. So we're really like keen on using those. But again, it can be really difficult to talk to big companies. Uh, we rent the headsets out for every event. Yeah, I think device management with with VR is a bit of a pain in the butt because you have to keep them charged, especially with the, the Samsung Gear VR is great because you can just swap out the phones. Yeah, that's really... <laughs> Stack of phones charging while you're swapping it out, whereas if you're using something like an Oculus Go, you got to take the whole machine away. So there is pros and cons, but the only problem that is Samsung in the future is not going to be supporting uh, Gear VR, it looks like. Yeah, so definitely in the process of transferring over the Quest would be absolutely amazing for what we're doing because, again, it's super high-powered. And, and if you think about the Quest on a price point, 
it's actually way cheaper than a Gear VR because a Gear VR is, let's say, $200 for the headset or 100 mm-hmm. But then the phone is like 1000 bucks. <laughs> yeah, but we, we rent for every single show. So oh. um, at, at the moment, we've been working on this for two years. We've received some grants from the, the Dutch government, um, a lot of personal support. And we have, I'm going to be in Vancouver at the International Film Festival. I'm going to fly straight from London at the show at the International Festival Forum to pitch in Vancouver for funding at the film festival. And then we're also representing to Creative XR, the Art Council of England uh, for opportunities to bring this to its full potential. Now you mentioned funding, and I think this is an important segue because I talked to a lot of companies uh, on the show uh, and a lot of founders, and most of them are funded uh, that have been on the show, funded of some sort anyway, whether it's seed funding or, or venture funding. But funding is a key element, especially when you're experimenting with technology we're pushing the limits. You guys are pushing the limits of what's possible with this technology. And sometimes it doesn't work. And if you're looking at it from a strictly monetary standpoint, you would never take any risks if that was the case. If you were only looking at it from the the business standpoint, you would never take any risks because the risks are high. So how do you convince funders and and who are the sources of funding that you guys have tapped into to allow you the the creative freedom to do what you want to do and, and bring this really incredible show to life? But also, are they expecting return or is this government grants or what does that look like? This is a great question for how we are approaching this project. As creative-based, we a huge important part is that we have the freedom to be really innovative and that we're not meeting certain deadlines and goals. And I, we're also bringing together a lot of collaborators who are working with us in the project as an open source band, if you could say. So making it open source, making it accessible, making it somewhere where everyone can be a part of it has been something we've moved towards um, to make it, to bring it to where it is today with a very, very small budget. In terms of an XR project that's touring the entire globe and we've sold out every ticket to date, the amount of money that's gone into it is, is very, very little, but the potential is enormous. So we're presenting in Texpo actually, our partners are presenting for us and that's in Singapore. So when we have access to corporate events and also galleries and institutions, when we bring those types of budgets, that's what's really allowing us to build the show. Um, In terms of investors, it's something we thought about very carefully. Do we want to have an influx of cash immediately? Do we want to grow and scale this right now? Or are we going to let it grow and scale organically? And are we going to retain that freedom to build it? independently without meeting business deadlines. And I think this is something a lot of companies... Tell me you guys kept the autonomy and freedom. We did. Yes, we have. It's been worth it every step of the way. (laughs) Absolutely. Because let's be honest, when you get pigeonholed into venture capital, there's a boss leaning over your shoulder saying, do this, do this, do this. And right or wrong, you are beholden to a board. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I've heard some people say too, that once you get your first round of venture capital, you're always going to be raising your next... So it's it's a huge demand, I think, to to scale at a at a rate that can take a bit of time, especially as we're all learning in industry now. And what you plan for in one year, you might have to completely change it as we learn new things and discover new applications. <laughs> it's exactly why we haven't raised as a company uh, until now, because we we had a little bit of seed capital. We found some clients that were very interested in doing great new stuff. So we actually used our clients' budgets, uh, typically in the marketing sector, to do our R&D. Because as you exactly just said, this industry is moving and it's fluid and it's changing every day. 
one day Apple will come out and say a new feature and then Google will come out with a new feature and those two features alone will wipe out 100 startups. So being able to be nimble and look at the big picture in the long term is really, I think, the key to the long-term success of this whole industry. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of companies that are building, building, building and are raising capital. And well, there's, who went out of business? Dacry. Yes. Dacry, the, yes. an augmented reality helmet. They raised enormous sums of capital, but one, they were too early. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been doing this for 10 years and the market for that, what they were doing is just starting to kick off now. They just raised too much money too early and it, it can set up uh, companies for failure more than its success. And I, I think this is a lesson for people who are listening who are startups who have a great idea, but just be very careful where you get your funding from. And the best form of funding, in my opinion, is customers. Yeah. I mean, when we're building out this show too, it's something because we have to be very nimble and also uh, we are growing and scaling, but at, at a, I think a great pace where we're also at the right timing and also for consumer adoption, it's not at what everyone expected it would be this year. And I think a big part of that is having accessible and very innovative and creative arts pieces. And there are lots of them out there. But when you go to VR, a lot of VR studios, or I should say arcades, uh, a lot of them, it can be very difficult for someone to to get. So you, you buy a ticket and then you have to we sign up and you wait 30 minutes and you try one thing, but you don't really understand how it's used. Uh, so I think a lot of times it's like when people first started watching uh, theater, they'd go out and see theater and then it was on TV and they'd go to the movies and they understood the concept and there was a show and then it became into the house and it slowly expanded to where people were comfortable with it in the home as well and also interacted with it in many ways and shared it with their friends. And I think we're slowly, slowly building up to the same rate as what we see with the other mediums that we're drawing from. Neat. I, I, the Fivers Festival does a great job. They kind of have these little areas where it's just walled off by curtains um, and you can sit there and you can, you load on an experience. So they have it all synchronized to a tablet. I was going to ask you about this. How do you synchronize all the headsets? What program do you use or what do you use to synchronize the headsets so that everybody's getting, or, or are they getting the same experience? They are. So we have our own app on the Oculus store and we invite everyone into a gaming lobby and we use a networking system. We can't rely always on the Wi-Fi of the places we are. So we always bring our own routers. And this is, we can connect. I mean, as we do more testing, when we first started in 2017, we had 10 people going through the experience at once. And now we're doing live shows at 30 just because of the restrictions for, for renting. But as we do more tests and we uh, get access to more budgets, we can do 60 people in the live experience. And the connectivity is so important for that because the show only happens once for those people if the show is sold out. Uh, so we have to have a stable network and a stable app and experience and hardware. But I would think that the entire experience is probably preloaded onto the devices and you're just using the network to trigger them, right? That's right. Yeah, because I think pushing the content would be too onerous. Yes. Yeah, so as we, we actually have like a live, a live system. So as we're performing different songs or different experiences or to different audiences, we customize what people see and change in tune with the music. So everything from the haptics, the temperature, uh, airflow, the scent is all controlled through the app we've created, controlled through an iPad or any laptops we're using on stage. Wow, that's so cool. Now, can people experience this not at a live show? Is there any way that they can download the app on the Oculus Store and and enjoy one of these concerts at home? It's something we're building up to. We're going to find out in the next couple of weeks. uh, We're extending it. A lot of what we're looking at is how do we 
make it accessible in community building and user-generated content. I've been exploring a few partnerships with ScienceBase and also SynthWriters with Occlude Interactive, and also building out our own experience um, that hopefully will be available in 2020. So cool. It's amazing being able to crowdsource the graphics and everything will be amazing. It's, it's never ending at that point. I think the ability to create this technology, to create 360 and VR uh, and AR is dropping dramatically. Five years ago, the cost was in the millions and now it's mm -hmm. in the tens of thousands and soon it'll be free like everything else. Making a video on your phone and posting it to YouTube is pretty much effectively free except for you're selling your rights to advertise, but that's a whole different story. Well, that's, that's something we've explored too. So how can we commercialize this? How can we make a successful business beyond uh, ticket sales and doing activations so we can import any Unity scene? So if we're talking to gaming companies, we can import them and do live activations. Uh, L'Oreal does a lot of really neat work and innovation. So how can we incorporate an experience or I like activate a new game if Fortnite comes out with a new suit, how do we do avatar integrations? So it's very, very flexible into how we present this, what content we present in it. So cool. And I think one of the, the missing elements to live events in VR, for example, if you're watching a basketball game or a live concert is the social aspect. And mm -hmm. you know, one company, big screen VR has done a really good job at one thing. They allow you to watch a big screen. So you sit on a couch or on a space or wherever you pick your, your room and you can watch a movie on a big screen. And one of the key things that, that struck me about their business model is that they allow you to sit on the couch with a friend and have a conversation while watching the movie. For movie purists, it would be terrible. You can, I'm assuming you can mute the person, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, just being able to have that conversation with somebody, maybe your girlfriend's across the world and you just want to sit and watch a movie together. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that bonding time is really important. And with live events, live events by yourself are, turns out not that much fun. <laughs> but yeah. being at an event where you can share with other people, is that something that you guys are looking into as well? Yeah. Well, I mean, based on our live performances, the entire like dynamic of it is that we wanted to focus on something that was social. Mm -hmm. So rather than having it as a passive experience, ownership of the experience was also something we thought was very important. So as we have people contribute to the visuals of the show, we feature them around the world. Because we're working, again, in the music industry, a lot of this off that base, we're also working with fans. And fans love to be a part of what we're doing. And for us, it's also a huge honor to have them being involved and in growing the project with us. So I know Kent Bai also talks a lot about um, just feeling as if you're actually there as well. So how when you're in the scene, we, when we use the pass-through camera, you see people wave to each other while they're in VR, sitting next to each other, even though they have the headset on or smiling at each other or spinning each other's chairs during this concert or pointing at the band, trying to figure out what's real and what's not. And these are things I don't see in a lot of demos. And people almost want to get up and you can tell that they're really excited and they're looking at the visuals and, and trying to understand it. And like they're talking with their friends after. We almost always talk with everyone after uh, the concerts. And we get a lot of feedback from our audience. And that's something also that has allowed us to really, a lot of the ideas are was from us speaking together and was speaking with our users and, and people who are, and the fans who are making, being a part of it. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. So have you built any uh, interaction for the user into the headset? So maybe gaze control where they look at something and it, it triggers something else, or yeah. maybe even like a survey at the end saying, how was your experience rate it from one to five? Or have you, have you done that? 
Yeah, so we've done the gaze control work. You're looking in the scene. People are are flying through it. Um, they can control what direction that they're traveling. However, oh, cool. uh, we do surveys at the end because it really is a concert and a live production. So people line up. Um, let's say the warehouse in Germany, people would line up on this like beautiful industrial space and they, they have like one of those classical red rope uh, people are all waiting to have their tickets for a certain time slot. So no one has had to wait. They all come at the time when their show is going to begin. And they come in and it's very ritualistic. So even before people put the headset on, the performance has already started. It's very much like when you walk into a dark room and you're expecting to see an amazing theatrical performance and there is kind of soundscapes and we have voiceover and they're talking about their childhood, talking about adventure. And they get the headsets on. We explain a bit before what they're going to experience. And then um, we had to experiment so much, too, about when does the band come on? Because if the band comes on after they put the headsets on, leaves before they take it off. Sometimes people don't even realize a band, the band was real. So when they're seeing them through the pastor camera, they just think that the technology is so amazing because the band looks so real. <laughs> oh, wow. So you guys are using the pass-through camera with visuals. Yeah, so we use added visual. We also use lots of dry ice and smoke. Uh, we have lots of lighting. Our entire team, like our, our, we have a tour manager. He also went off and does lots of work with Grace Jones. Um, the label is Believe, and they do DJ Shadow and Bjork. And the management is East City with Alt-J and Wolf Alice. So the team is, is incredible. Our booking agents are AG, Live Nation, Coda, Paradigm. Uh, so in terms of ability to take this all around the world, uh, it's absolutely amazing. No kidding. That's so cool. When are you coming to Toronto? Oh, we hope to come to Toronto next year. Right now, we're speaking with our partners in Singapore to doing Hong Kong, Singapore, um, Tokyo. And we'd love to do, we're looking at the West Coast tour um, from San Francisco and Los Angeles for early 2020. That sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. It's great too, like for companies, in a way, it's, it's a showcase of the technology. So when we're having the headsets and we have haptics and we have all these different technologies coming together. It's such a good way to show the capabilities of this technology to a new audience. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. Uh, Subpack just partnered with Beat Saber to make a, a custom Beat Saber Subpack. Yeah, no, it's, it's really amazing to have like the, the collaborations. And something that people, when, you know, they feel like they're a part of it, can also take it home and, and have the gear and, in a way, be a part of the team. Well, I guess they can be part of the team because you're crowdsourcing uh, yeah. the content, which is, if you look at the history of, of human presentations from concerts and music and theater and TV and movies, the user wasn't really part of that process mm -hmm. ever. They were just consumers. And now we're moving into a world where anybody can be a creator, like the number one social media platform in the world right now, while well, growing is TikTok. It's enabled kids to be creators again and given them an easy way to make really cool stuff. VR and AR have, have this unlimited, untapped potential to let the crowd design and run wild with their imaginations. Yeah, we have a 16-year-old who's part of our collective in Virginia who's taken some amazing drone footage that we use in our music videos. So not only are we doing VR, but we're also doing integrations into gaming. How do we, like what's really neat about Science Space, um, with some of the partners we're working with, is you can access their, it's like a massive multiplayer online game with user-generated content. And we have our own area and you can access it in VR, you can access it on desktop. 
And also our game designers are building out this. So it's an experience. You can activate different music videos, see different artwork from the collective and also be, be a part of it. So we always encourage everyone to be part of growing the industry because now is the time when you can really become involved in it. I started in VR in 2014, but one of the things that stuck with me, I was listening to actually it was Ken Bai's Voices of VR podcast. And one of the things he said was at this point, it doesn't matter if you're a Hollywood producer or you're in your basement, everybody's equal because nobody knows how to do this stuff. And you know, it almost feels like we've come a little bit of ways because we know how to make 360 films and we know how to make VR and AR and there's tutorials online. But four years ago, there was no tutorials online. You just had to try it. And it feels like we're, we're still at that kind of beginning time where anything's possible and anybody can do it. Definitely. One of the challenges we faced was the idea that it had to be ready before we released it into the world. And we started in 2017 with like underground performance at the Institute Contemporary Art in Amsterdam. And then it took until actually this year when the first single was released with the band Mirror Shot that we started doing public performances uh, with press. And one thing that our team would encourage people looking back is to put it out in the world and work with other people and get feedback because it's never going to be perfect. Art is never perfect. Uh, but innovation is is always amazing and people appreciate it. I wish we could tell that to our corporate customers who are like, <laughs> hey, we want to be the first in the world to do this. Mm-hmm. And when it things go sideways, as they often do when you're pushing the limits of technology, they're mm-hmm. like, well, why doesn't this work? And you're like, well, because it's the first in the world and we told you it might not work and it doesn't work. <laughs> but thank, thankfully, we have customers that are willing to take those risks with us because you really do have to push the limits. So are working directly with the creative team because then they won't necessarily understand the restrictions of the technology and they'll come up with really cool solutions. And then also the company will find more innovative ways of exploring their potential of what they want to communicate. Absolutely. I mean, if you leave it to people that are in the technical realm to develop everything, they will only do what's technically possible. But if you leave it to an artist and say, here's a technology, what do you think? And then they go, hey, well, can we do this and this and this? And the technical people are shaking their head going, no, no, we can't, no, we can't. And then somewhere in the middle, somebody goes, well, we're going to, <laughs> whether it works yeah. or not. But uh, you know, there's always that, that adventurous feeling with, with artists. I, I don't know if you know my last company, Emulator, we, uh, we developed a big, huge see-through touchscreen DJ controller. And uh, we got to work with Linkin Park. We gave Mike Shinoda the big touchscreen and the program. It was a MIDI controller, so you could do whatever you want. He came back and he showed us a video that he had made it was like just a bunch of octagons on the page and it looked like nothing. It looked like a bunch of things thrown on a page and he started to play it like a piano. He was playing a touchscreen like a piano that he had designed from scratch himself. That's amazing. These are the kind of genius brains that you get with musicians and artists. And I think the marriage of technology and art is one that will never get divorced. Yeah. I mean, one thing that's so about any narrative and any story is that that's what people are going to remember. So when we're releasing all these new products, so from the Quest and headsets, HoloLens, augmented reality, haptics, so even Setback is a great example, is people aren't going to remember as well without a story or a context. And a lot of that comes from the creatives because they can feel a part of that story or connect to that story about making something and working very hard for something and then using it in an amazing way and sharing it with the world. I agree. So. What's next then? So you, you're going on tour, you're going to Vancouver, you're raising some capital from, uh, from grants and, and different things. You're selling tickets to this thing. 
what is the the 2020 schedule look like? It must be getting crazy. Yeah. So for 2020, we have huge plans, and definitely right now is the time when we're confirming all the technology we're using, all the marketing we're doing. We're speaking with Razor as well, um, doing some amazing stuff because. I mean, the equipment we use, it's in a live show and we have to use the best that there is. And we, we share with that with our audience. We talk about it. We put it to the test. So all of that now in our next next few shows that working up towards the end of this year, that's going to lead into Global Tours in 2020. It's going to be amazing. I'm definitely going to catch one of the shows next year for sure. Yeah, no, I cannot wait for everyone to be a part of it. And also, as we build out the at-home experience, we're going to invite a lot of the community to experiment with us for the first time. I can't wait. This is going to be incredible. You you made a custom scent. In your opinion, what does it smell like? Well, I think a lot of it is going to be about the context. So when you walk outside into the day, you experience the light in different ways because how you feel and what your experience is. So when you smell something, if you're flying over an ocean or a desert, I think a lot of that will have all the senses coming together to make a new impression. And that is whatever you make it to be. <laughs> we relate from your experiences. Interesting. Oh, so true. Because it really comes down to your own perception. That's why I was asking that. Because what smells like summer to me may smell like something else to you. And smell is one of those senses that is really, really underrated. We're working on training. And scent can add a, a an element to it that Maybe very subtle and people don't maybe don't even notice it. But let's say, for example, and this is not something we're working on, but you're, you're training somebody in a mine and you want to give them that, that understanding of, of what it's like to be in a mine. You can either turn up the heat if it's hot underneath or cold and give them that, that smell. Maybe it's iron or sulfur. These are things that you can prepare people for. And subliminally, they, they really resonate with that and it, it enhances training, enhances the experience overall. So I, I think just adding the scent and the wind and the, the haptics, you guys sound like you've you've really uh, got the whole package there. Well, there is, I mean, it doesn't really have that wow factor anymore in the sense that you can't put on a Google cardboard and sh- show a cool video of someone going on a roller coaster. We have people who are really experts in, in VR and AR right now and immersive technology. And we really have to be making cutting edge experiences. I couldn't agree more. I was I was at Fiverr's and I have, I'm a little jaded. I've seen a lot of cool things. And mm-hmm. the ones I saw were really great. I, I looked at one called um, The Life in 2049. Mm-hmm. And it was looking at what is life going to look like in the year 2049. And it was all CG and it was okay. It was good. But there was another one going to Mars and the the, the quality was just incredible. And I couldn't believe how great the quality was from the Gear VR. I had kind of in my brain said, okay, well, the Gear VR is not very good. And I've kind of turned it off in my brain. But having tried it this weekend, I was like, wow, this thing is really still great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, the way, like a lot of it too, we, as we work with the creative teams, our developers, it's about making it in a, the file in a certain way so it's not too dense. Yeah. So in terms of layers or any movement and motion is how can you compress it the most so that when we're streaming it through Circuit Live, um, it comes out as the best visual quality. You can take away all the polygons and just apply a video overlay and it looks really photoreal, but there's no depth or texture to it. So. Yeah, there have been some amazing video games that use really low poly visuals and it's just stunning, stunning. And a lot of it is just about setting the mood and setting the atmosphere and going on an adventure in this new space. Yeah, you know, the one thing that you mentioned that I think is really important, uh, especially for location-based entertainment, including live concert, is setting up the atmosphere before you put the headset on. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's very important. And the one, uh, the one place that does this really well is um, a place called, ooh, what is it called? VR. Uh, oh, I, I can't remember what it's called. It's the, it's the huge VR uh, arcade in Dubai in the mall. Oh, I can picture it. They have, when you first walk up to it in the mall, mm-hmm. the entire cityscape of Dubai is hanging from the ceiling upside down in three dimensions wow. and everything around it is video screen. So you got mm-hmm. these buildings kind of coming down from the sky. One, at one second, it's, it's daytime. At the other time, it's nighttime. That's even before you walk in and you walk in and do a, a Vive experience. There was one uh, where you're bank robbing or whatever, but you go in a bank vault and it's all littered and there's papers on the ground. It's like you went in a bank vault that was just robbed and then you put on the VR headset. Yeah. I mean, those are such good escape room things too, when you're actually physically in a, in a cool area. Yeah. I was at a dreamscape immersive with Carter giving uh, me and my a colleague uh, from mirror shot, um, taking us through the experience. And I was also very interested with what they're doing for the moment you walk in, there's, it's like going to a theater and then you have all these, um, I guess, relics and books about travel. And I think it was Ronald Menzel, who's based in Switzerland or dreamscape, who said they're like a travel agency. And when you go in, you put the gear on, you step in and you're waiting in anticipation. And they did also so cleverly the redirected walking. So even though in you're in such a small space, you feel as if you have just gone on like a one mile adventure. And it's exciting because you actually feel like you're in an open world. So doing really clever things like that in the physical space and having it like as a journey that you're participating in and there's interactive features is, is hugely impressive. Yeah, I think that the first time that I ever engaged with physical objects in a virtual mm-hmm. world blew my mind. We were passing around a ball mm-hmm. and the ball looked like a basketball. I grabbed it and I, we were passing it around and just the act of passing a physical object around was cool. Mm-hmm. And then the ball turned to a fireball and then he passed it back to me. And I was like, I didn't want to touch it because it was on fire. Yeah. But then being able to play catch in VR with a physical ball. That's so meta. <laughs> One thing with that too is like avatars, I think a lot of people are aiming for total realistic, but we forget that there's gamers all over the world who prefer animated characters. And they seem like you can, even just when I'm like in a VR experience with colleagues or friends, you can tell just from like a, let's say a very basic robot figure, just by their movements, you can really identify who they are. Um, and that's something that's quite amazing. I actually, I, I got to speak with uh, Philip Rosedale from High mm-hmm. Fidelity. And one of the things that we were talking about security in VR and we're talking about retinal scanning and this, and he said, well, to be honest, one of the easiest ways is gait analysis mm-hmm. because you are a certain height and you hold yourself a certain way and the head w- headset will rest and you will move in a certain way that is unique to you. And it's very, very hard for people to fake. Yeah. It's again, it's like natural cadence um, and rhythm that uh, becomes part of our identity, which is another huge question in VR. Yeah. I think uh, we, we've only scratched the surface of digging into our own identities within VR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's it's very exciting industry. And in terms of innovation and creating new experiences and engagement and having it as something that's more than just uh, an eyeball on a screen and, and a tick in the box, then uh, I think this is really something that can be make experiences and sharing stories a really creative and beautiful connecting medium. I agree. The fact that we'll wear glasses every day, probably within the next 10 years, 
uh, within probably within the next five years. And all the compute power will not be on the devices themselves. It'll be in the cloud. So the computers themselves will be super cheap. The cloud streaming service will be super cheap. And then the content will be crowdsourced and user generated. And so mm-hmm. it will just be this big hub of user generated content that gets upvoted and downvoted based on people's likes and dislikes. But also if you apply artificial intelligence algorithms to that, you can really then start to drive content to people in a meaningful way. We use a lot of incredible algorithms to sell people more crap that they don't need. Um, What if we sold them more learning and used marketing techniques and algorithms to drive people to learn more with an altruistic outcome rather than just try to sell people more stuff? Mm -hmm. No, I think, I mean, it can democratize everything like collaboration, education, healthcare, uh, access to education, even I know travel comes up a lot on your podcast. Uh, so distance. And yeah, it's uh, one of the, I was so, so lucky. I got to go and present one of my short stories at this event called Virtual Futures in London last the last two years. It's just a speculative fiction. And it's exactly about that is how can AR um, solve a lot of the global problems? And one of them is uh, that it needs to be materialistic. So how can we use overlaying data on the real world and light and then solving that need for physical items and also a lot of the physical gear that's needed for communication systems. How can we make communication systems better with the cloud? It's still a huge way, like globalization, I think is very much in its early days and this technology will again, decrease the distance. And in terms of every way that we can innovate, AR and VR, I'm sure will be a part of it. Well, I don't even know what to say to that. That's amazing. <laughs> I guess when no. we're talking about business, it's a good time to invest. <laughs> Yeah, you think? <laughs> this is why we yeah. waited. We actually sat on the sidelines mm-hmm. and waited and did all our R&D and everything. We're like, okay, we'll mm-hmm. wait until there's real proven use cases so that we can go to our investors and say, this is where the money's made and we're going to go and mm-hmm. get it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What problem in the world do you want to see solved using XR technologies? I think to say that the one problem, I think is a very, very difficult thing after just saying that I think can be a part of everything. But I think that what I can be a part of is just to facilitate learning and learning from others and also working together. And it's something that everyone can be a part of. And again, relating to education and healthcare and the arts and creativity and access to resources, as you say, tutorials, there's there's so many ways to be a part of this. And I think we're all working to make it the best it can be. Well, I don't know what else to say with that. And thank you. And thank you everybody for listening. This has been the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. Uh, If you want to learn more about the work that Anne is doing, you can visit theboolean.io and uh, make sure you check out Miroshot, a live VR performance coming to a festival near you. Thanks, Anne. Thank you so much. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community 
that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're on the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is gonna drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game, and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com, and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.